Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of leading conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations today. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we have with us today a very special guest, Kimberly Weichel, who is a social pioneer, educator, and a specialist in global communications, conflict resolution, and cross-cultural projects. Kimberly has directed international projects for many, many years uh, throughout the world. We're going to hear about some of those today, and she has a particular interest in women's leadership. She co-founded the Institute for Peace Building and also co-founded Our Media Voice, which is an organization focusing on media education and reform. And she's really interested in creating a new generation of peace leaders and to build a foundation for a culture of peace in our world. Good morning, Kim. Good morning, Cheryl. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. How are you today? I'm very well. Where are you today? <laughs> I live in Marin County, which is near San Francisco. Uh-huh. And uh, sunshine, I hope? It is indeed. It's an absolutely beautiful day. Oh, wonderful. Well, Kim, I so appreciate you being here to discuss the front line of peace, feminine leadership. It's such an important issue for our time. And um, you have many, many different interests. They all seem to flow and connect together. Um, but I'm curious about just this one simple little concept, social pioneer. You know, you call yourself a social pioneer. Could you share with the rest of us how you really see that? Sure. You know, there are many um, aspects of society that I think really need to be, the light needs to be shined on and focused on, and I think change is needed. And really what I see as a social pioneer is taking on certain issues that we see need some transformation. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so I've selected my areas, and it's really taking stands for issues that we deeply believe in and looking for creative alternatives and solutions. And so you've just taken it upon yourself to stand up and, you know, just take a stand and, and make things happen. I'm very impressed with that. What, well, what did you, um, long time ago, well, not want to tell your age, but long time ago, <laughs> you got involved in social issues and became a real activist. And I'm wondering what prompted that in you, you know, as a younger person? It's a great question, Cheryl. Thank you. Um, Firstly, I always had a fascination with the international, and I befriended uh, exchange students when I was in high school. I wanted to become one, and I did. I had a deep fascination for other cultures, mm-hmm. and my journey as an exchange student then really opened doors uh, with my own personal interest to a real lifelong journey cross-culturally. Uh, my journey took us, my husband and I, to South Africa, mm-hmm. where we worked uh, during the apartheid era in the, from 1975 to 1980, <clears throat> doing what we could to work for change <clears throat> uh-huh. under the apartheid system. And that incorporated many components, and it was the injustice that I saw there. It was what the impact that a small group of us could make in our small-scale way to work for change and the extraordinary sense of responsibility that I felt, and I still feel as someone living in the United States who has, I feel very blessed with my life, and I really really feel it is about giving back and taking on what it is that we can do to make a difference. Uh, I have a 14-year-old son, 
and I'm passionate about creating a better society for him and his generation right. that we, you know, I, I'm not sure our legacy as our generation is the best right now, and I think it's beholden on each of us to do what we can to work for change. Well, what is it that you think needs to happen? What, what, where, what do we need more of in order for this next generation to actually develop that culture of peace? Yes, well, my fascination, Cheryl, is really the intersection between spirituality, which is the foundation of everything I am and do, the feminine, which I'd like to talk about, which uh, I think is extremely important, and peace building. Mm-hmm. It's that triad that I think is critical. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I think is so needed is to realign our society that's gotten off balance with a strong focus on masculine to bring it in back into alignment with the feminine qualities. Mm-hmm. Qualities such as partnership and collaboration. Mm-hmm. Qualities such as long-term thinking and inclusiveness. And uh, qualities such as sharing rather than hoarding power. These are some of the kinds of qualities that I think are so important that have a spiritual basis to them and are which are the core of the peace-building work that I do. Hmm. You know, we hear this a lot about the feminine, the masculine, and um, I know you're not speaking about gender, and yet people tend to react very much as if this is, you know, drawn down gender lines. Um, do, do you see that there are actually gender differences? Well, there are, but I, I want to stress here that the feminine it can be in both men and women. Mm-hmm. So this is not about men or women. It's mm-hmm. the feminine qualities which are traditionally associated with women, but very much can be nurtured in everyone. Mm-hmm. And these are the qualities that I think are so critical. Uh, so, you know, for example, um, you know, nurturing, uh, using intuition and decision making, all of these things be, being relational, I think, are very critical. Um, when we look at, at the importance of being good listeners, uh, women traditionally have been better listeners than men. Mm-hmm. Being, listening is, is a very important quality in terms of collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our society has unfortunately uh, really, as I say, gotten off track where we're so focused on competition, we're focused on, in this society, so much on being number one, you know, me first kind of thing, and it's that's not effective. That's not an effective way of working together. And so to focus on collaboration, on partnership, on on um, including everyone and thinking of all the stakeholders, whether it's business, not just the stockholders, mm-hmm. but all stakeholders, including employees, including the community in which the business is working, including the environment, including the wider world, this is really what we're all being called to do. And so it is bringing that feminine into alignment. It's not just the feminine only. Mm-hmm. It's bringing mm-hmm. it into alignment with the masculine. Mm-hmm. It seems like uh, the world is a little bit more ready at this point to hear this. Um, you know, we've talked about this for many, many years. The idea of, quote, feminine leadership has been around for many years. And yet it seems like there's more receptivity at this point. Do you think that's because there's a feeling that things aren't working so well and so we need something different? Oh, absolutely. I think we're seeing breakdowns all over the place. I, I think we're seeing when the distorted, you know, the, the suppressed ma- uh, feminine becomes the distorted masculine, and I think that's what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. This, the emphasis on greed, on control, on power, on achievement, mm-hmm. and the su- success equals money has really gotten us off track from what's, what has meaning, what has heart and meaning. Mm-hmm. 
And so we're seeing the breakdowns in many companies. We're seeing, you know, this war and what does that mean and the effect on all of us. We're seeing a media that is not feeding our highest selves and is not inspirational or really educational, unfortunately. It's, it's appealing to the star qualities and to sensationalism. And so you see it in different places. And yet the good news, and I'm a very hopeful person, mm-hmm. is you also see millions of organizations now in the world taking a stand for change. And it's that that really gives me hope. People such as yourself and many of us doing what we can and trying hopefully to collaborate to be more effective, to create the new that's a healthier basis for our society. Well, speaking of collaboration, what I noticed about you as I was doing some reading about you is that you have co-founded and co-directed many organizations and many initiatives. And it seems to me, and maybe, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that that co-piece for you is very important, that doing that with another person or with many other people is important to you. It's very important to me, Cheryl. I really enjoy the best when you're working with another person or a team. It's it's like two or greater than the, the sum of, well, I've forgotten that phrase, but it's the two together can, yeah. can produce much more than any one person together. Yeah. And when you bring that synergy, when that best in collaboration, I think that's what produces effective results. I know I personally am an extrovert, and I derive energy and um, enthusiasm in my work with others. I certainly do some work on my own, and I draw from my inner self, mm-hmm. but I think I do, I'm at my best when I spark that juice, that creativity when working with other people. Well, that's a really good point about you being an extrovert. I know a lot of introverts who um, aren't as excited about being in big groups and group decision-making, et cetera, et cetera. How do we help them get more comfortable with this? Uh, well, I think that, you know, the practice, everything is practice, practice, yeah, and yeah. working with other people because we do have to go beyond ego. We have to go beyond the qualities of I know it all mm-hmm. to listening. What is it that another person brings that complements what, what I have? None of us have all the parts. We're all pieces of it, a very important puzzle. All of our voices are extremely important, and yet together we can bring so much more than any one of us could do alone. So I personally am sparked, but I see the value in all the work that I've done. So when I train, which I do quite a bit, I have three different colleagues I co-train with. Mm -hmm. Yes, I can do it on my own, but if I'm teaching collaboration, I need to model it, you know, so the two of us together bring forth our collective skills and gifts Mm -hmm. to make a richer experience for our attendees. Mm -hmm. And it occurs to me that the concepts that you're talking about, these feminine qualities, um, especially one of inclusion, could be very important when working with um, people who are uh, more introverted, including them, including their ideas on purpose, which, you know, oftentimes people who are a little more quiet, um, if there's not intention around bringing everybody's voice into the circle, they may not have the opportunity to have their voice heard simply because of their style. So um, it's interesting that this, what you're talking about really is um, 
will be workable with many types of people. Well, exactly. It is about being inclusive. And I think women, and particularly the feminine, have been about you know inclusiveness and uh, developing a web, develop a web-like structure of, of including people, sitting in circles, designing offices that are you know in circles and spaces for people to connect. Because it's through that connection that we become more whole. Uh, I love the Marianne Williamson wonderful poem, which is one of my favorites. It says, "When I let my light shine, I unconsciously give you permission to do the same." And that really speaks to me, and I think that's very true. So uh, together we can create much more than any one of us could on our own. Well, we're going to shine more light on Kimberly Weichel when we come right back. Arise from your sleep, Africa. Arise from the bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leader the world has been waiting for. Call today. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back. We're speaking with Kimberly Weichel this morning, author of Healing the Heart of the World. We're going to speak more about that book soon, Kimberly. Um, in speaking about the qualities of the feminine in leadership and in peace building, um, I know that you are a fan of some wonderful women leaders um, who demonstrate these qualities very, very clearly. Can you speak about those? Absolutely. I, I so excited that there's sort of a growing tide of wise feminine leadership in different countries and I'd like to share some. Starting with our own, I am thrilled that our own Nancy Pelosi is now Speaker yeah. of the House and I loved her acceptance speech when she said, 
I accept this gavel in the spirit of partnership, not partisanship, and look forward to working with you on behalf of the American people. In this house, we may belong to different parties, but we serve one country. That's a great quote. That is beautiful, and that really represents partnership and collaboration. Uh, But she's certainly not alone as a leader in the world today on the political horizon. You know, we have, for example, Andrea Merkel, who's Chancellor of Germany, and she's a physicist. And she worked really hard to form a coalition government in Germany, again, bringing the different parties together. And since taking office, she has won respect on the world stage and popular appeal in Germany for her quiet diplomacy. So she, I think, models uh, a collaborative spirit. Then you have in Chile, uh, Veronica Bachelet, who's the first woman president of Chile. She's a surgeon and pediatrician, and she campaigned on a platform of increasing social benefits to help reduce the country's large gap between rich and poor. Mm. And you'll see, I think, the feminine focuses on social programs and legislation that benefits all, not just some small group, Mm -hmm. but benefits all. And Mm -hmm. I think that's another quality of feminine leadership. Mm -hmm. And then another example, which I love, is Han Wong. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, of South Korea. Mm -hmm. She's their first female prime minister. She served previously as minister of environment and as minister of gender equality. Now, wouldn't that be neat, Cheryl, if we had a minister (laughs) of gender equality in the United States? Uh, But she fought for women's rights on such issues as paid maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So she's the current prime minister in South Korea, a wonderful example. Um, And then in Liberia, we have Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who is engaged in post-war recovery efforts to provide children access to education. So there she raised the profile of women by appointing women to posts traditionally held by men and as serving now as chief of police and president of the country's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Yeah, so these are some rich woman. examples, you know, some wonderful examples on the on the horizon. Um, and then lastly, uh, Mary Robinson, who I've met, former president of Ireland, and she was the first head of state to visit and offer help to Rwanda after the genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, her passion is human rights. She served as United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights for five years and continues that work. And so we have these women leaders that are really, stepping forth and modeling a kind of new type of leadership that I think we so very much need. You know, these are political leaders, and I'm wondering about um, women leaders in business. Um, For years, there has been, you know, what is called the glass ceiling, and and women get to a certain point, and then um, their numbers dissipate. And um, more and more women are being allowed to step into CEO positions, and it's a big challenge. It seems like, you know, the microscope is on them even more than most CEOs. And um, and I'm wondering if, given that business is so powerful, even in the way our government works, um, if, you know, are we ready to have women CEOs running our economy? I mean, are we going to let that happen? I certainly hope so, and I certainly think we are, and I think they're absolutely needed. Um, I loved the phrase in the book Megatrends, co-authored by John Nesbeth and P- Patricia Aberdeen, when they said, women can transform the workplace by expressing not giving up their personal values. Mm. Um, women, of course, bring extraordinary strengths, 
And I think, unfortunately, what you've pointed out in the sort of old paradigm, it's been very hard for women to rise up the corporate ladder unless they did take on many of the male characteristics to sort of make it in the corporate world. But I think now we're seeing people bringing their whole selves to work, and certainly in some companies, and as you know, I have a passion about spirituality in the workplace, which we can talk about, uh, but particularly, I think women now are, as leaders, are reconciling a concern for bottom line results, which of course is important, with a concern for people and values. It's a both and, not an either or. Mm -hmm. That women relate their decisions to the larger effect upon family, community, environment, and the world, not just on uh, quarterly profits. So it's, again, it's it's relational, it's holistic thinking. Um, They place less emphasis on status and build their authority from connecting to the people around them. Again, this quality of relationship. So I think that, you know, these are some of the qualities that women leaders are beginning to express. They share rather than hoard information as a source of power, creating a sort of web of inclusion. And so these are the kinds of things that uh, we're seeing and I think very much are needed in our business world. Well, I certainly agree with that. Um, I am curious about how we cultivate that in young women. Thoughts about that? Sure. I think partly in the business schools, I think hopefully the curriculum is beginning to change where it's not just about bottom line thinking and quarterly profits. It's really about more holistic thinking. So it's partly, I think, starts in in what our young people are learning. Um, And I think it's also about them having great mentors and role models to learn from. Um, I think there are some extraordinary young people that don't just have to follow the old paradigm that are really creating the new. I think we're seeing a lot more innovation today. I also think, as we were discussing earlier, there are breakdowns in the old model from the Enrons and the WorldComs where Mm -hmm. the underlying philosophy that more is better didn't get them anywhere. In fact, uh, you know, caused tremendous hardship for many people. And I think now we're rethinking things. What, you know, what is sustainable? What creates heart and meaning for all of those involved in a business? And to take it responsibly to what the, 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 the possibilities of what business can be. Hmm. You know, I, um, I'm interested in not only cultivating young, young people, young women, but I'm also interested in what I've been seeing in young men. And it seems like the younger generation of, you know, people your, your son's age and you know, up into their 20s and 30s, that generation tends to have a gentler quality about them. They see the world, I guess, more holistically is, is a good way to put it. Um, and do you think that's because of our media, because of, you know, their exposure to what's really happening in the world? Do you, ha- do you have that sense? Well, I think um, it's probably for a number of, of, of reasons. Uh, one is that it, the older generation, there were certain understandings that men had certain roles and women had other roles, and I think a lot of that is broken down, and I think um, there is openness to trying new things and saying, what is it that, again, I think the focus now is a lot on sustainability, mm-hmm. what is nourishing, and th- these are some of the questions. Of course, business needs to look at what is profitable, Etc. But it's not. It's not any longer. Do we have the luxury of an either or? 
it's got to be many components. And I think there are some wonderful international examples. I love, for example, the Swedish word for business, which is naringsliv, yes. if I'm pronouncing it correctly, yes. which literally means nourishment for life. Yes. So the question is, what if businesses were really set up on the principle that work should be a way to nourish our lives, mm-hmm. you know, beyond the paycheck, which, of course, mm-hmm. is important. But, you know, I think these are some of the kinds of questions that younger people are exploring. Well, and in, in that, people are looking for work that matters to them. Absolutely. Um, you know, this is the other thing I'm seeing a, a trend in. Not only is it um, the boomers who are reaching a point in their life where they're saying, is that all there is, it is the younger generation who's starting out saying, well, I have to do something that matters to me. And um, I'm, perhaps their parents are influencing, you know, their their way of thinking and seeing the world, which is a good thing. Um, or perhaps it's simply their exposure to what's out there in the world, and their world is bigger than their neighborhood. Um, you know, whatever is is happening, it's going to make a big difference in where we turn, where the world turns next. And you know, I I believe that with that kind of thinking that peace is a possibility. If people are doing something that is important to them, they feel like they have more to lose if things don't go well. And so where do you see, um, how do you think this next generation is going to influence the state of the world? Whoa, that's a big question. (laughs) Of course, I have what I hope, and uh, I think, you know, as I was saying earlier, our generation really has used up a lot of resources and uh, caused, you know, we've obviously been also a source of great innovation and inspiration, but I do think that the problems have grown to the point where young people have to really take note and look at extremely creative solutions to these extraordinary global problems and to say that the old model in many ways hasn't is breaking down. And so what is the new that's coming forth? And it's going to require them. It can't be business as usual. And and the good news is, you know, there are a few examples of, um, there are a number of examples of companies on the leading edge of really doing innovative work that they can learn from. Um, it is an extraordinary responsibility for the young people now on all levels, uh, politically, environmentally, certainly with Al Gore's wonderful film and message that brings, you know, to our attention the crisis that we're in. And I love that phrase that crisis breeds opportunity. So um, as a person that's generally an optimist, well, I'm very concerned about all that's going on. I'm optimistic that crisis is now in our face and we really have to take appropriate action. And I think that's what we're all seeking for in our respective fields. We'll be right back with Leading Conversations. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leader the world has been waiting for. Call today. 
Growing a business successfully not only requires increased sales, but profitable sales. Over 80% of small businesses will fail to do this in the first five years. On Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business with Tom Long, he will share his years of business experience to maximize profitability and ensure longevity and sustainability. Broadcasting every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, Acorns to Oaks, Growing Your Small Business provides insight into key areas of business, coordination of management, finance, operations, time management, people, and marketing, as well as sales. Tune in and learn how to grow your business into that mighty oak. Every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news. Solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back speaking this morning with Kimberly Weichel, author of Healing the Heart of the World, a social pioneer and specialist in global communications. Kimberly, you um, have spoken very strongly about spirituality in the workplace, and that that term, that phrase in itself, brings up an awful lot of feeling for a lot of people. Um, and I'm curious to know how you define spirituality. Great question. <laughs> uh, you're absolutely right. There is a growing movement and, and interest in this arena. For me, spirituality, of course, is very, very personal. It is not religion. It's quite different from religion. Spirituality, for me, is the oneness between us, the commonalities, not the differences. It is a personal connection with my inner self, and it is also a connection with what I'll call the divine. In my case, I might call it God. Other people would call it something else. So it's that connection between myself and a higher power, as well as the oneness between us. And while that might sound general, that's really how I see it. Now, it plays out in different ways in the workplace and in life by focusing, again, on what has heart and meaning for us. Uh, It is about meaning and finding that sense of fulfillment and uh, that sense of context and sense of satisfaction that I think we all seek, especially as we get older. It's so much more than a paycheck. And that is how I see spirituality. I consider myself spiritual first and Christian second. Mm. Um, you know, religion is a little bit more a specified set of beliefs. Right. And while that's extremely important, of course, 
sometimes, and we know a lot of wars have been caused over differences in religion, very sadly. To me, it's the ultimate irony. (laughs) And that's why I really, um, spirituality is just an extremely important factor in my life. It's the foundation of everything I I am. Mm -hmm. And I will say that a Gallup poll showed that 95% of Americans say they believed in God or a higher Mm -hmm. power and that found that an important, many, many people find it as an important component of their work and their life. We've spent so many years in um, the workplace separating that out, saying that it's absolutely not compatible to bring your spiritual self and sometimes even just your personal self, you know, not even bothering with your spiritual self, just bringing your personal emotions to work. Um, and so you're saying that there's a shift happening here. Huh? There's very much a shift happening because, again, the, the old model just wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, if we have a close family member or friend die and we come to work, we're not going to be able to focus on our work effectively if we can't share what's going on with us. Right. Bringing our whole self to work is so important. Now, no, that doesn't mean we sit and talk all day about our personal life. It's, it's the balance. But people are much more than their job description. And I think when employers limit people to that, their little cubicle and their little job description, they're not cultivating the best, the creativity, the highest sense of involvement of that person. And I think companies are realizing that a more effective, happier, healthier workplace is one in which people are honored and respected for all of who they are. That's where the creativity comes. Um, there are a couple of examples I just wanted to share of companies on the leading edge. Um, I'm co-director of Spirit at Work, the, the Bay Area chapter, which is a chapter of an international association of Spirit at Work. And there is an annual award to companies that uh, display wonderful characteristics in, in terms of Spirit at Work. Um, healthcare industry has been in particular on the leading edge in this arena. One example is the Memorial Hermann Healthcare system in Texas that has 16,000 employees, they have a spiritual leadership institute training program, which is a nine-day for all of management and a shorter version for others. So everyone goes through a spiritual leadership institute. Each employee has a paid day off or a spiritual day of their choice and extensive chaplaincy care of employees, etc. Um, so that is one example. Other healthcare companies, hospitals now, will have a room where uh, nurses and doctors can go and rejuvenate. Perhaps it's a meditation room where they can go and recenter themselves. We know as, as parents and as workers that, and as people that when our vessel is depleted, we have little to give others so that it's important to have a place for staff to go to fill their vessel, to quiet themselves, to, you know, be able to get centered to go back and, and work again. So there are many examples of companies that are doing, taking steps to encourage the, the spirituality, not religion, again, we don't, this isn't about being divisive, it is about the unifying factor, I think, and encouraging people to come and share and, and be themselves and bring their creativity into the workplace. Well, let's go back to that organization that has a spiritual leadership institute. What exactly are they teaching? You know, the 
truth is I don't know. I don't have their curriculum. Um, I, I do know that as because they won an award, they were really analyzed and they uh, their their leadership training was was looked at in terms of how does it cultivate the individual. Uh, what are some practices people that can do that are nurturing that are um, you know helpful to the individual. But in terms of specifics, you know, I to be honest, I don't know. Um, I will say that just to give another example um, of a company that won an award out of the healthcare system was Hearthstone Homes, which is a home construction company. Have you heard of them? I have. They're wonderful. Great company. 110 what they call associates, not employees. Mm -hmm. And they they describe their core purpose is to discover the hero in everyone. Mm -hmm. And so that spirituality is explicit in their core values and demonstrated through their commitment to extensive personal development training. So these are the kinds of things that I think are now on the cutting edge. A lot of examples, companies that uh, give staff paid time to do volunteer work in the community Mm -hmm. with the understanding that giving back is an important component. Um, Other companies that, again, might have a a place for meditation or give staff paid time to to meditate during the day, Um, maybe start meetings with a moment of silence, not prayer, because that might be overstepping boundaries for some people, but just a moment of silence to center ourselves Mm -hmm. before going into a meeting. So these are some of the kinds of things that I've certainly uh, been aware of. Yeah, the whole even something as simple as you said is is taking a moment of silence just to say, okay, I'm here now. I'm in the room. I'm not in my last meeting. I'm not in that last conversation. I'm not thinking about my emails. I'm simply being present to the people in the room and to what we're going to be looking at. It can be so powerful. It certainly can be, and I, I think it's important when we just take some deep breaths and we stop for a few minutes and we maybe get over a difficult phone call or whatever and just be present, how much more we're able to listen and to take in and respond from a different place than just being reactive. Mm. You talk about the concept of spiritual intelligence. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely. It's one of, one of my many favorite topics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, oh, certainly uh, <laughs> the, whole, um, the whole growth of emotional intelligence when, with Daniel Goldman's groundbreaking book uh-huh. certainly caught people's in- attention. And I would say that our intellectual intelligence is when probably what gets us the job and our emotional intelligence is probably what allows us to keep the job. But what has not been discussed, and I just would love to see more discussion around this, is spiritual intelligence, which I think is a very important intelligence. It addresses the problems of meaning and value, mm-hmm. and it provides a context for our actions so that it's important to our sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. And spiritual intelligence is, you know, we behave with a sense of compassion and wisdom. That is spiritual intelligence. It goes beyond emotional intelligence. It allows us to be creative and think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps us to deal with ambiguity, which, of course, in this you know, ever-changing world is absolutely essential, and particularly in choosing the right thing to do. We've seen, you know, the whistleblowers and many things, and so you have certain rules, you have certain policies, but each of us have to decide what is the right thing for us to do. That is spiritual intelligence, Mm -hmm. to think about the whole and what's best for the whole, not just for self. 
Well, what do you think about the whole idea of organizations creating a set of values that they espouse to? This has been going on for many years, and um, with with um, some success, some not. Um, some companies set out to identify values that they hold as sacred to the way they treat their employees, the way they treat their customers, etc. And some companies, when they do that, they become words on a list that get posted on the wall and, you know, it's not, somehow it doesn't get carried out into the rest of the organization or into their behaviors. Do you see that it's possible for an organization to really identify their values? It certainly is, and it needs to be embodied. So if, if some, you know, to be honest with you, if a dictate is coming down from on high that we should do this and you should do that, that's not a way to, to live it. And I think it often starts with the, the CEO, the head. It doesn't always have to because there are examples of people within a company that have started a whole discussion and movement, but it often is the consciousness, the awareness of the leader and embodying it and it's, it's living it. So they're, 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 ex, they're li- the living example of these values and being able to cultivate them, to encourage them, not tell people people, you know, how to act, because then it sometimes can look like it's yet another strategy for companies to, you know, uh, get more out of employees, to be honest. That's not what this is about. This is about really deeply caring. And, and, I mean, we all know the difference if somebody's caring or somebody is using it as a strategy. So this isn't a strategy. It's a deep honoring, and it, it really needs to be lived not just spoken, you know, the the talk has to be walked, as we say, and yes. starting often with the CEO. Do you think it's possible for large corporate multinational conglomerates to actually walk the talk in this? I think it's possible, Cheryl. I think what's challenging is that, again, they're so huge and there's a certain structure and there's a certain system that they operate within. And so I think it's more possible for departments on a smaller scale, and though those departments can influence the whole. Uh, there are examples of companies such as Ray Anderson's, you know, the Interface Carpet Company. You might have heard that wonderful example, but that wasn't a huge company. Um, and I think what has to be looked at are many things. One is, you know, the mission statement. You start with a number of components. The mission statement, is that just about bottom line and serving stockholders and corporate Profits, or is the mission statement about all stakeholders? Um, I loved the Hewlett Packard shift where their, their line used to be, We want to be the best in the world. And then through a series of, you know, meetings, dialogues, whatever, they transformed it. One word made all the difference they want to be the best for the world. Yeah. And that is a huge shift in thinking. Um, so I think one needs to look at, at mission statement, at uh, the way the company is run, the values, the structure. Is it only cubicles where people can't really connect? Do they have a place to connect? Are they being honored? So again, it's not just any one piece. It's many pieces together, but certainly modeled by the, the, the leaders. Mm. Wise words from Kimberly Wyko. We'll be right back. More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com. 
Are you ready to become a global citizen of the world? What would it be like to share your future with people of all ages from around the world who have one major thing in common? A commitment to make a difference with no language, religion, or age barriers. Make a difference in this world. Come to Bali this summer for an experience of a lifetime. Awakening Global Action, a seven-day gathering that will change your world. Call 866-458-2254 or visit our website at www.baliinstitute.org. You are the leaders the world has been waiting for. Call today. Mr. Simplicity, Bill Jensen, is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. He wants you to do less stupid stuff so you can do more of what matters. He'll coach you as a speaker at your event or one-on-one. He'll help you by consulting side-by-side with your teams, and he'll teach you through his books and downloads from his website. Visit today at www.simplerwork.com, and he welcomes your emails at bill at simplerwork.com. Smarter, not harder, is your work and your life, condensed and clarified. Mr. Simplicity is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. He'll give you the tools you need to do less stupid stuff and do more of what really matters. Let's succeed together. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Business information you need from the stock market to starting and managing your business. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're speaking this morning with Kimberly Weichel. Kimberly, you have co-founded and you are co-director of the Institute for Peace Building. Could you please tell us what you do with that? When did you when did you co-found this organization? About four years ago, Cheryl. Uh, really, it comes from a lot of the work that I've done in my past and that my colleague has done in his past independently. The real deep concern about the growing amount of violence and uh, conflict in our world, as we've seen in schools and all over. And I really feel that it comes um, to a large extent from um, a lack of tools and skills to be able to communicate. One of my personal life goals is to see a required course, K-12, through in every school in this country that is something called life skills that would include conflict resolution tools and communication tools so that people could graduate from high school with skills and how to get along. I mean, what a concept. (laughs) Uh, So that's one of my personal goals. Um, The Institute grew out of that extraordinary concern and the fact that people aren't bad. I truly feel people are good, but they need skills. They need the ability of how to communicate. So much of conflict is about misunderstanding, assumptions, and that growing enmity, and then it just escalates. So what we do through the Institute is firstly we go into the schools and we do assemblies. My colleague is from Malawi, Mm -hmm. and he lives in 
the Bay Area, and he's just he's brilliant at offering dynamic assemblies for 45 minutes, captivating the attention of these youth in tools and skills. We then go into the classroom and we work with students on how to uh, use these tools. We also have a teacher training. How do teachers more effectively deal with differences, of which there are so many, of course, in the classroom and on the playground? What are some tools that teachers can use and communicating with each other? Uh, We also do parent training because uh, it really needs to start from the home and parents need to model the kinds of values they're trying to teach their children. Um, so uh, certainly in the school system, that's, that's one arena we work in. We also work with organizations, businesses, and communities in doing this kind of training. We have everything from a half day to a week-long training we offer in different settings and environments. We can come in if there's a conflict, which we've been doing in different cases, whether it be a department at a university that's in transition and therefore in conflict, and how do you resolve that, oftentimes just by letting people speak their truth in a safe setting. Um, And then we work internationally. We work on some projects with the United Nations and in different communities in terms of working to heal a conflict and then setting policies and agreements to go forward. So talk a little bit about that work you do with the United Nations. This must take you all over the world. Well, I have lived in many places and traveled in different parts of the world. Um, I do projects with UNICEF, for example. I just, I think the United Nations is a very important institution, and people in this country don't understand really how effective it is overseas. It's not perfect by any means. However, its breadth of programs are extraordinarily life-saving in many instances. And so UNICEF works with youth in emergencies to provide clean water and health, to provide um, education in a box. So I've done... Uh, I've done projects with UNICEF. I've done projects in different capacities with the United Nations. I'm actually president of the United Nations Association of San Francisco, mm. um, and I write and speak about the UN because of the the principles that the UN is, is based on, which are the ones we started with. It is about collaboration. It is about working together, and the nations need to think bigger than self um, because issues today are global. They stretch beyond that national boundaries, most do, and we need a forum in which we can collaborate together. Hmm. How do you think it has happened that the United Nations has become viewed as such an impotent entity? Partly because of poor media in this country and not understanding what it really does overseas. Of course, it doesn't work in the country, in the United States, yeah. uh, and it doesn't have a mandate to publish, you know, publicize itself. Right. That is the work of the United Nations Associations. Every time I travel overseas, people tell me how the UN has benefited their lives. Yeah. So I think there's, unfortunately, with our Republican Congress and President, there's been a feeling of uh, negativity that's gotten circulated. I don't think it's been fair to what the true work of the UN is. And granted, it's not perfect. It needs some reform, too. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to what you were talking about um, with the K-12 through 12, um, life skills training. Yes. Um, that is such a fantastic concept. And, you know, it occurs to me that, well, when I was a child a long time ago, um, Teachers were not so much allowed to hit kids, but they were just coming out of that um, 
that capacity. And so there was, um, if a child was misbehaving, they couldn't spank the child anymore. Um, but for a long time, the culture of the teacher was this real disciplinarian, and discipline meant physical discipline. And so then that was taken away, and nothing was replaced. There was nothing that taught teachers, well, if you're not going to do that, then do this. You know, no one said, here's how you do conflict resolution. Here's how you help a child understand. And it seems like that this could really fill a void. And it's amazing to me to think of, think of it in this way that um, this many years later, there's still that void that exists in the public school system and sometimes in the private school system. Well, you're absolutely right. And the good news is there are some other organizations doing some good work in schools, but it's very sporadic. It depends on the budget of the school. It depends on this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in the past, schools felt it was, gee, we'll do it if we have spare time and money. I think now, because of some of the shootings in different school systems, Mm -hmm. people are really paying attention and saying, we need to take appropriate precautions and teach people tools because a lot of times these pent-up frustrations can be, it's like, you know, releasing a volcano. If people don't have an opportunity to speak and be heard, they can blow, and that's what's happening. So a lot of times it is giving people a chance to speak and be heard, to give students a chance to to be trained as conflict managers. My son was when he was in fifth grade, and some schools have programs, but not many, I don't think. But they all should have programs to teach kids these tools at this age, because then they're going to grow into adults and they need to know how to get along. It amazes me, actually, that in our very sophisticated society, we haven't had a structure in place of teaching basic life skills other than very sporadically. I want to turn to your book, Healing the Heart of the World, Harnessing the Power of Intention to Change Your Life and Your Planet. Can you just sum up your book in just a few sentences? (laughs) Sure. Well, there are actually 38 co-authors in this book, and I feel extremely honored to be amongst them, from Thich Nhat Hanh and Prince Charles to Carolyn Mace and Joan Borisenko. Many different uh, spiritual and international leaders talking about harnessing the power of change and looking at a variety of subjects from health to uh, political to environmental to, in my case, my chapter is called The Feminine Frontline. So it is about the qualities of the feminine that we and the spiritual that we've been discussing that is what I write about from my own personal examples being part of a, of a UN conference to working in South Africa to spending numerous years working in the former Soviet Union under citizen diplomacy and what I learned through that. Extraordinary, you know, situation in which the feminine really did blossom. And I like to, to chronicle those and describe it and why these are so important, citing um, uh, The Chalice and, and the Blade, that wonderful book by yeah. Rianne Eisler. Yeah, yeah. So it includes you know, many components. It's a wonderful book. It's, it's a capsule version of the best thinking of some of these leaders, so you don't have to buy 38 books. Oh, that's great. <laughs> well, Kimberly, I'm so appreciative of your being here today. So if people want to know more about the work you do, about the Institute for Peace Building, about your book, Healing the Heart of the World, and more of your training that you offer, they can go to your website. What is that? www.kimweichel, I'll spell it, K-I-M-W-E-I-C-H-E-L.org. Great. Thanks so much again, Kimberly Weichel, for being with us today on Leading Conversations. 
We are here Fridays, 10 a.m. Pacific time, every Friday, with a wonderful big thinker from around the world. Remember, everybody, to think big, because the world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and leading conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-B-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. 